Hello! Welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is NQ. NQ is an award-winning poet. He's a multi-platinum songwriter. He's the best-selling author of the book, Inquire Within. He has been named to one of Oprah's Super Soul 100 list of the world's most influential thought leaders. He was the first spoken word artist to perform with Cirque du Soleil. He's been featured on A&E, ESPN, as well as HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam. This guy is legit. He's so good. He has uh, put out several poetry videos that have been viewed more than 70 million times. And he more recently just launched an Amazon Prime video, which is a live performance of him at the Ace Theater, reading poetry and doing his thing. I'm so stoked to talk to NQ. He's a... He's an inspiration to me. I attended one of his writing workshops years ago, and he's good. I love his stuff. I love what he does. I love what he's about. And uh, his view of the world and the way that he approaches life is somewhat in parallel to my own. So we have a really good conversation about all kinds of stuff. Uh, In particular, we dive into vulnerability and strength. Like, what is vulnerability? How does it work? Why is it important? So we touch on all kinds of great stuff. I think you're going to dig it. He also reads or recites a brand new poem that he just wrote that's so good. Um, I Yeah, I just think you're going to dig this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate the five-star reviews, the shares, the subscribes. And uh, make sure to get into NQ's life. Buy his book. Check out that Amazon poetry special. Follow him on Instagram. He's a good dude, and he's an absolutely brilliant creator. So without further ado, here is my conversation with NQ. This episode is brought to you by Cured Nutrition. Cured is the leader in CBD supplementation with an entire line of products designed to take your everyday life to its ultimate potential. Their daily staples are formulated with an in-house clinical herbalist which has taken the traditional CBD regimen to an entirely new level of optimization. If you're anything like me, you like waking up feeling good and living well, you've probably toyed around with the idea of finding healthy alternatives to jumpstart your morning. Personally, it's why I start my day with Cured Rise, which is their focus supplement. It's a powerhouse blend of functional mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps, broad spectrum CBD, and powerful adaptogens gives me clean, clear, and sustained energy without any of the caffeine jitters or crash that I get with coffee. After I get going, Aura is next. It's another blend of functional mushrooms, CBD, and adaptogens, but it's got a twist. We all know how important it is to sustain our immunity nowadays, and this covers all of my bases. The vitamin D, prebiotics, crucial antioxidants are delivered straight to the gut which is the foundation of our emotional and physical health, am I right? Second brain. It's where the majority of our serotonin production and immune function begin, or it keeps everything in check, performing at its best, so I have one less thing to worry about, and I obviously cannot forget Zen. I use it every night. It is certainly why it has become Cure's number one selling relaxation and sleep product, You know the long night spent tossing and turning? Yeah, not with this stuff. It has ingredients like reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, magnesium, passion flower, broad spectrum CBD. So thankfully, restlessness is something of the past. Cured Nutrition products are your answer for a daily dose of health. Visit curednutrition.com. That's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com. Be sure to use the coupon code LOVEBOMBS, and at the checkout, you will save 10% off your order. Oh, let me ask you one more question. Okay. Keep this in. Okay. What do you think your audience would like to hear? That's actually a good question. That's a great question. Like what, what would be a good poem that your audience would like to hear? What connects with, with your community? Wow. I think, uh, I think people at the moment are looking for a bit of 
inspiration, a little bit of like recognition that it's going to be okay. I know that you have a lot of optimism and, and real talk in your art. And I think that one of the reasons I'm excited to have you come on is because I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of our messages that I, that I do professionally and, and the work that you do. It's about like recognizing the realness, the shadow, the darkness, but also highlighting the potential to overcome or to grow, to connect and expand, like that it'll get better, that it's not all a negative shit, shit show. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, if you've got something that's not like a want-want Debbie Downer, life is terrible kind of vibe, that would be appealing. Okay. But hey, NQ, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, so, so obviously we're going to hear a little bit of your art and what you do, but for somebody listening right now that has never heard of you, that doesn't know what an NQ is, like what? What's your deal? How do you describe yourself? Uh, who are well, you? I, I don't know what an NQ is. I know what NQ stands for. NQ is a name that I got when I was 15 years old. So it's short for in question. But originally, I was rapping and my buddy was like, you know, your rap name should be Inquiry because you're always asking questions. So people started calling me Inquiry and then they shortened that to NQ and and they shortened that to Q, and I pretty much rarely heard my real name after that. But in terms of what an NQ is and what I am, I mean, I'm, I'm not a product. I'm a process. I'm still figuring it out. If I may offer a few details to help clarify to the listener who you are, because I, I looked at your Wikipedia page, and on paper, man, you are an impressive dude. You are an award-winning poet. You're a multi-platinum songwriter, a best-selling author. Oprah had you on her top 100. You host a podcast. You've got a book. You are a, an artist and a creator across many spectrums, it sounds like. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm, I'm definitely out in the world. Whenever somebody reads my bio, like actually like reads my bio, though, I feel like hiding underneath a table. It's super awkward, that right? Say that again? Does that happen to you? All the time. Yeah, every time. Why do you think that is for you that you feel uncomfortable when someone reads your bio and then I can tell you why I feel uncomfortable? Okay. I feel uncomfortable because I feel like reading of the bio is an attempt to justify my quality or to legitimize my goodness. It's like, hey, hmm. this person actually is achieved or done or accomplished a lot therefore they are quote unquote good and you should pay attention and, and it mm. feels a little bit disingenuous in that sense like I don't believe that I'm the product of my achievements in the past I believe that I'm just like I'm Jeremy and right that's like enough of an intro yeah I agree with everything that you just said and I I can relate to that it almost feels like they're reading it to give you validation as a human being. You know, like this is like the things that you've accomplished are supposed to sum up who you are, or even that what you've done in the past is supposed to represent who you are right now. And so that's why I feel uncomfortable First of all, I'm like, who cares? Because we're creating a new moment together, right? And then secondly, I also feel a bit removed from all of my accomplishments. I have done a lot of things in my life um, that I'm very proud of. But when I read them all, I'm like, who did that? Was it me? Was I even there? Because when you know what happened behind the curtain, to create all of those things, you have a different relationship to it. So I think it's a combination of all of those things. I know that it's necessary to tell people so that maybe they perk up and listen a little bit harder, but um, I also wanna create a new moment with them. Yeah, I relate to that. So I, one of the things that's often highlighted for me is that I have a PhD, so I'm like a doctor, which is somewhat rare. And so I get that it's 
by design special in that sense. It's like not everybody has one, so he does, so I have to tell you about it. But then upon reflection, I look back just as you described and I'm like, oh, but I'm not a scientist anymore. And like, wow, that was one of the harder periods of my whole life. That was really mm -hmm. challenging, partially because I was living a life that I didn't feel fully aligned with. And so highlighting my achievements in some way makes me feel sad uh, or activates me to remember of all the things that happened during that time. Right. Mm. And, and so it's kind of this paradoxical thing. Like they're trying to pump my tires up, but at the same time, I'm feeling a little bit deflated because uh, I'm being reminded of the difficulties that came with doing that remarkable thing or whatever. That's interesting. Although I will say it sounds fun to be called a doctor, like oh, yeah. doctor, yeah, doctor, doctor. Like yeah. I feel like, it, as like a thought experiment, I'm like, I'd love to be a doctor. Yeah. But maybe if I was a doctor and I had been behind the curtain, I would feel the same way that you did. Yeah. And even though, I mean, I'm a doctor, but I'm not like a doctor, doctor. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? This is the perfect conversation for our, the audience that you have. I'm sure they're like really enthralled. <laughs> if you're still listening, I appreciate you. But But there's always, I guess... Like I wrote a post a while back that said, you know, I have a PhD and I also have imposter syndrome, right? And so if you think that some qualification or credential is just going to magically wipe away the way that you see yourself or the world, then I have some bad news for you. Like, it's not in my experience, right? And so for me, it's like, yeah, I'm a doctor, but also I, I can't, you know, sever somebody's arm and stitch them up or I can't save a life or extract a bullet, right? It's like I spent years of my life reading about a topic and, and committing to the pursuit of a very specific niche. Um, and so in that way, if you describe it like that, I suppose, that, I mean, there's countless people that could qualify for a doctorate of, you know, gardening or poetry or, or any other kind of pursuit. Well, look, it, it is still a huge accomplishment. So I acknowledge you out loud. Thank you. Um, and then in terms of the imposter syndrome thing, you know, if you've never had imposter syndrome, I don't trust you as a human being. I'm not saying that you have to have it now. You know, you can grow into your own power and you can own your life. And I think that's really positive to own your own space in this moment. But if you've never had imposter syndrome, you're not in reality because you're believing your own hype. And uh, yeah, all we have is now. I love that. I'm actually teaching a workshop tonight about imposter syndrome. So I might use that line from you. Talk to this dude today and he said, uh, you're not trustworthy if you've never felt like an imposter. Well, because if it almost becomes celebrity culture, the looking up to people or looking down on people thing, which is what we're taught to do. And because we look up to people or look down on them, we rarely ever look at them. And I think that if you're looking up to people, you're making them superhuman almost in a way that might be inspiring to you, but it might be discouraging because it separates you from them. You're like, they're superhuman. I'm only human. I can only accomplish these things. You know, my life would never compare to theirs. But if you look at somebody and you see them for all of their beautiful accomplishments and all of their beautiful flaws, then you, you kind of go, you know what? Let me just look around and see how I can make my life better one step at a time. I love that. Like the, the idea of putting someone on a pedestal or just in our culture, I think it's very common to only see the shiny veneer or the one-sided biased telling of what occurred. Um, and you don't see often the shadow or the struggle. So, so earlier when I mentioned all those things that you've done in your life and, and you said, yeah, but you don't know what it was like to actually do it. Are, is there an example or a story that comes to mind where, like all that glitters isn't gold, so to speak, or? Um... I mean, almost everything <laughs> that glitters isn't gold. 
almost everything. That should be the same. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I've had a journey. Yeah. And uh, I'm grateful for every single step. Maybe we can start there in terms of, so you referenced being a, a teenage rapper and now you're like a award-winning artist. Like what was your journey like? How did you get from being a teenage rapper named Inquiry to like, like what happened? Okay, so I was born and raised in Santa Monica, California. My mom's a school teacher. My father was not around at all. I didn't meet him until I was 15 and uh, we did not have a relationship in my life that was significant in any way. I can count on my hand, you know, how many times I uh, saw him. And I fell in love with hip hop at a certain point and loved freestyling. It was my first form of meditation because when you're freestyling, you can only pretty much think of the next line and the next rhyme. And I felt empowered and free in expressing myself through that art form. And then when I was 19 years old, I wound up in an open mic for poets in Los Angeles called the Poetry Lounge, which turned out to be one of, if not the biggest open mic in the country. And there's 250, 350 people every Tuesday night for upwards of 20 years. And I kind of showed up at the beginning of it. And so I got in on the ground floor of that artistic movement and that community. And I stood on stage and I was doing my rapping on cappella and people responded to it and started calling it poetry. And I just didn't correct them. And then I was on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam and uh, ended up uh, winning the National Poetry Slam Championships with our specific Hollywood team in 2004. And I was making albums throughout this whole entire time trying to get signed, but I just couldn't, you know, it was, at a time where you couldn't just put your music out into the world on the internet, you needed to have a middle person, the record label, you know, put your stuff out into the world. And so I did that for years and years and, and just couldn't get any traction in a real way. And ultimately I think I realized I was more of a poet than an MC. And that was the start of my like very intentional poetic journey. Mm. Was it like a conscious decision to not embrace poetry or was it like a slow burn or, or was there a moment one day where you're like, I'm going to go in this direction? I think that the community that I came from was all heavily influenced by hip hop. Um, and most of us had or were rapping either then or at some point in our lives. So that was definitely in the DNA of what we were doing as spoken word artists. Um, but for me, it was compartmentalized. I just loved the opportunity to show up in an environment like that. It was church without religion. People were being celebrated for their vulnerability. Vulnerability was seen as a strength. They could uh, talk about social and political issues that were difficult and challenging and um, people were moved and inspired by it. And so that became uh, a family for me. I think um, as I was there and as I was exploring my own artistic voice, some of the concepts that I was talking about and the way that I was talking about them through my rhymes changed. And so it kind of happened unconsciously. Uh, but I always felt a little bit different than most of the other poets in terms of style that were outside of my immediate community. Um, in terms of, I think, I always had a little bit more of a standard hip-hop influence. And uh, I don't know, eventually it just fully transitioned. Yeah, it sounds like the somewhat standard um, like discovery of your voice, so to speak, as an artist or a musician, as a creator, you kind of, in, in my experience, you, and in, in reading a lot about this, you kind of imitate those that you admire most. And then you kind of 
put those together and smush it. And then you kind of have your own voice and then it gets refined and polished the more that you use it. Is that fair? Yeah. Look, I teach workshops that allow people a space to explore their own voice to the poetry, whether or not they have ever written a poem in their entire lives. And my philosophy on teaching is, is that all you can really do is provide a platform for someone to go through that exploration. You can't tell someone what their voice is because then they'll be trying to take on your voice. All you can do is give them tools to find their voice mm. and provide space and time for them to do that in a structured way. But that's why they say it takes 20,000 hours. I'm probably at 30,000 hours or, or above. Um, and all of that time and space was really valuable for me. Hmm. Maybe now is a good time to have you perform a piece of poetry, if that's okay. We talked about that before, but we've touched on your voice and we've touched on your background and that you've won some stuff and would you be comfortable sharing a bit? Yeah. Let me find a new one. That's brand new because then it'll be fun for me. (laughs) If you don't know what your purpose is, tell me what your passion is. Don't know what your passion is. It's where inspired action is. It's what enthusiasm gives a manual for how to live. So if you still can't fathom it, then simplify the catalyst. Tell me what your interests are. Help define what you're about. Don't know what your interests are. What are you curious about? Tell me what annoys you. Tell me what you love to hate. Now tell me what destroys you and use your voice to go create. Play in what employs you or find a hobby on the side. Nothing that you want to try. Imagine you're about to die. That would probably force you. If someone tried to take your life and they were coming towards you, would you fight to stay alive? I remember nights when I would contemplate my suicide. I'd lie awake debating non-existence till the sun's rise. I was feeling forced too. I had shit to alchemize. Of course it had to course through. Now my dreams are actualized. God does not ignore you. Get over being victimized. What does time afford you? A paycheck is a compromise. Tell me what implores you. Are you down to sacrifice? Now tell me what rewards you. I'll point you towards the afterlife. If you don't know what your purpose is, tell me what your passion is. Don't know what your passion is. It's where inspired action is. It's what enthusiasm gives a manual for how to live. So if you still can't fathom it, then simplify the catalyst. Tell me what your interests are. Help define what you're about. Don't know what your interests are. What are you curious about? Tell me what annoys you. Tell me what you love to hate. Now tell me what destroys you and use your voice to go create. Play in what employs you or find a hobby on the side. Nothing that you want to try. Imagine you're about to die. That would probably force you. If someone tried to take your life and they were coming towards you, would you fight to stay alive? I remember nights when I would contemplate my suicide. I'd lie awake debating non-existence till the sun's rise. I was feeling forced too. I had shit to alchemize. Of course it had to course through. Now my dreams are actualized. God does not ignore you. Get over being victimized. What does time afford you? A paycheck is a compromise. Tell me what implores you. Are you down to sacrifice? Now tell me what rewards you. I'll point you towards the afterlife. Fuck. How does that feel to, to say? Feels pretty good. You know, it puts me into a zone. I kind of get locked into a, a vortex, basically. And then I come out on the other side and I'm like, 
okay, I'm back in the world again. It's it's a little bit interesting to do it when it's not physical because physical, I am actually back in the world again. But when I perform digitally, I come out and I'm in the screen. You know, I'm in the metaverse with you right now. Yeah, it's a bit surreal, isn't it? And I suppose when you perform, you get the feedback from the audience and the emotion and the energy in the room, like the applause or the tears or whatnot. Yeah, you know, I do so many digital shows and workshops now. And uh, when all this started, I was like, I wonder if it's going to translate. And it does. Every single time. It is really special that I'm able to do this in this particular medium and that it still fully translates and resonates. But I learned different things from performing in this space than when I was performing on stages. You know, like for example, when I do longer sets, you know, sometimes I do a three minute poem, but sometimes I'll do hour and a half shows. And in the middle of the poem, you know, in the bridge, the poem ends, right? And I've performed in front of thousands of people digitally, literally like on one show. I'm just saying like one show and then 6,000 people, right? Or whatever it is. And there's just silence. And so that was strange because I'm used to having this wave of applause or a reaction or something like that. And I kind of like had to check my own ego, which was basically like, well, why am I performing in the first place? You know, am I performing for this reaction and this validation or am I performing for the purity of what the poem wants to say? And so that's just a small example, but I think there's many examples of things that I've learned uh, in terms of performing in this medium that will make me even better uh, when we get back to some sort of a new normal. Mm. Yeah, man, I, I relate. Uh, it's, it's a completely different world. Um, just being on the screen and being on Zoom all the time and not hugging a human, not seeing their face, not seeing their, their body movements, right? Um, but you talked in that piece that you just performed a lot about death and using death as an inspirational tool in a sense. I'm curious if there's anything more to say about that or what are your thoughts on mortality? I know that's a very broad philosophical rabbit hole, but figured I would dive in. You know, I did a workshop once and the guy that was in the workshop, and this is last year actually, so it's not even like, this ancient thing. It was, it was digital. I'm just remembering it. Anyway, he wrote a poem. I think your microphone may have, sorry. Oh, wow. We're not even using my Yeti. We're not even using my Yeti microphone this whole entire time. Bro. That's, <laughs> that's so, so messed up. Watch when I, you want me to switch it over or you want to just keep it the same now? I mean, let's get the good stuff if we can. All right. Do you hear a difference? Definitely a difference. Yeah, bro. Yeah, there it is. I even, when we started, I was thinking like, because I could see the top of your mic in the video. And I was thinking like, man, this sounds not like super great. That's, but like, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Next time you should ask, right? I know. I, I was, right? You know why? Because we jumped right in and then we started talking about the, uh, passcode to get in the thing and i never checked yeah. i wonder if this is no see watch watch that oh even better i just did my camera to this as well well here we are it's a again. whole new world <laughs> it's like a it's like a second part of the podcast um yeah you can do it in two parts yeah but i did uh i didn't interrupt you were just about to tell a story about a man on a zoom workshop talking about death yeah, so when I do these workshops, I give people an opportunity to write, and then I'll choose a few people, and they'll share the digital stage with everyone else, and they'll perform their poems. So he got up, and he performed this poem about attempting suicide. He jumped off one of the bridges in uh, the Bay Area, and he survived but it took him a long time to get better. Like he had to go through major rehabilitation. 
And he said in the poem that as soon as he jumped, he was like, I fucked up. As soon as he jumped, he thought, this was not the thing that I should have done. And because he survived, it changed his view on life. And I think I unconsciously incorporated that into the last poem because I wish that people who were on the edge could have that experience without actually having that experience. You know, I personally know moments in my life where I didn't want to carry the weight of my own identity anymore, where it felt like it was too much. And it's not that I necessarily wanted to kill myself, but I didn't want to be myself. Mm. And uh, that's a very fine line. But if someone tried to take my life, I would fight with every cell in my body to take my next breath. And so I just wish that people could have that experience without having that experience so that they can realize that no matter what is going on in their life right now, it is a fucking miracle to be alive. And you are a miracle that you are in the world. And even though I don't know you, I love you and I believe in you and it does get better. And I think that's why it's so powerful for people who have overcome things to use their voice and speak out, to give hope to those who are still in the muck, who are still down in the hole. It's like, hey, I'm reaching my arm down. I've been there. Like, There's a ladder over on this side of the hole. Like, It gets better. I think that's the power of, I think earlier you said, using vulnerability as strength. I think that's one really great example of that. Yeah, for sure. What does that mean um, to you in particular? Like, like obviously vulnerability is a big buzzword and it's a crucial component of art and creativity and authenticity is another big buzzword. But is there, is there an edge that you're currently walking in terms of being more vulnerable as you show up in the world or pushing your art to another level? Yeah, that's actually a really great question, man. Um, I don't mean to say that frivolously. It's a great question because no one's ever asked it to me. I like questions that uh, actually make me think rather than giving me an opportunity to say a stock answer. I picked up on your stock answer earlier when I was like, so how did you get from being a rapper to being now? And you're like, all right, mom, I grew up single mom. And I was like, fuck, in my head. I was like, damn, that was a... he's answered that question a thousand times. So here's a new one for you then. Well, it's good context for people to have, but um, there's no way to answer it differently because that's the answer, yeah. you know? Um, okay, so in terms of vulnerability, I've been thinking about this recently. There's levels to at least my vulnerability, but I'm sure that people will be able to relate to this. Uh, I teach it. And I teach people to explore their vulnerability through the Trojan horse of poetry. And then they're often very surprised and transformed by what winds up taking place in the workshops. But that's only one level of it. For me specifically, I'm really great at telling vulnerability. It's harder for me to show vulnerability, but I can do it. I've done it many times to strangers and to people that are close to me. So those are two levels. It's like telling vulnerability and then it's showing vulnerability. Some people can't even tell vulnerability. Literally, they can't even get to the first level. And that's why using poetry as an outlet is an option for people or any art for that matter. Mm. So you have telling it, you have showing it. Then there's another level, which is like showing vulnerability to the people that you're closest to. That can be very difficult to actually show it to the people that you have primary relationships with. But I know how to do that as well. The hardest thing for me 
is to show vulnerability to a primary relationship when the specific thing that happened is about them. Because it's much easier in a situation like that, instead of just saying, hey, you know, my feelings are hurt. And to really be with my feelings are hurt with them and keep it on my side of the fence. That's different than saying, you know, I wish you wouldn't have done that. Or like the way you did this, you know, you're putting intentions on them. You're attacking them. You're judging their behavior because your feelings got hurt or you got pissed off. And being hurt and being pissed off are natural and normal parts of being a human being. But how we express them are very important in terms of how we're getting the message across of what we actually want to say. Because if you push someone, they're either going to push back or they're going to move back. But if you say how you feel and you hold space, then you actually give people an option and an opportunity to make change. So that's something that I'm working on through vulnerability. And how are you practicing that? Or what's the process to work on vulnerability for you? You have to wait until you're triggered. <laughs> but it sounds like you're, you're like doing the work, man. It sounds like you're, that you've been to therapy or you've read some books or you're listening to some podcasts or you're perhaps meditating a lot and discovering new parts of yourself. I can, I can say all of the above. <laughs> it's like that, that great line about, uh, like, what is it? If you think you're enlightened, go and stay a few days with your family. I think it was like Ram Dass or somebody said that. But the same idea is if you think you're, you're calm and collected and cool and kind, then prepare, your, you're ready for a relationship, right? To be exposed and activated and triggered and like in the, in the real thick of it. And it sounds like well, because you have to stay on the same page with someone you have to, you know, stay on the same page so that you don't wind up in different chapters or, or worse, different books. Yeah. And so what's something that you've learned about yourself lately? Or what's something that you've changed your mind about? I mean, I'm constantly learning. I think what I just said is one of the things that's been on my mind. Um, another thing I would say is. Uh, just realizing that, like, I don't really have any problems right now. <laughs> like, I would ask this to anyone that's listening to this. Who would you be without your problems? Mm -hmm. Like, we so closely identify with our problems that they become our identity. And then giving them up means we have to give up who we are. And we don't like to do that. Why would we ever want a part of us to die, even if it's a part of us that causes suffering? So I've worked extremely hard in my life to be where I am right now with you. And if I was to compartmentalize my life into the areas of romance and family and finance and art and whatever, all the areas that there are, I really don't have any problems anymore. What I have is echoes of old problems that I basically, you know, think are in real time because I've trained myself to need to control everything all the time. You know, I have to hold on so tight. Otherwise, everything is going to fall down. And so I've been asking my question, my, myself the question of, is that true? And for me right now, the answer is no. I really don't have any problems. Now, I'm not belittling anyone else's problems. And I'm not saying there aren't going to be unforeseen problems that aren't going to come to me in the future. What I'm saying is they're not here now. And so I don't want to make mountains out of molehills anymore. And I don't want to walk around wasting my energy trying to control everything. 
And uh, that's been really helpful for me to wake up every morning and think, okay, I don't have any problems and my life is a grand adventure. And when I really look at it that way, then, you know, I'm Indiana Jones at CVS. <laughs> <laughs> that's a visual. I just picture him in line for a prescription or some hemorrhoid cream or something. Um, More like scope. <laughs> Deodorant. Yeah, for his next adventure. Um, but you reminded me, I listened to this podcast yesterday and it talked, it was from Alan Watts. And, it, and he said something like, it's not about um, being happy. It's not about chasing happiness. It's about recognizing when you are. And it sounds similar to what you described there. If you're always searching for problems or the next battle to fight, or if you're looking for the drama, you'll completely miss the fact that actually life is really good right now. And to there will never be a time to savor that, I suppose. Yeah, and that's the challenge I would say to anyone who's listening to this. I'm not, I don't know your life circumstances and I don't know what's going on. And by the way, there are real problems that we need to deal with, mm. for sure, individually and collectively. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that like, if you're used to having problems, you'll find them. So there's a difference between being problem-oriented and solution-minded. And what are you? If you could really do a diagnostics on your life, look at the things that you want to change, but then like notice where you're making problems where there aren't any and try to use that energy elsewhere. I love that. I love that. Are there practices that you have to sort of raise your awareness of your identity or to raise awareness of your emotions? Like, do you meditate? Do you like, do you, obviously you write a lot, but are there things that you utilize that are like non-negotiables? I meditated for five years straight, twice a day, and I never missed one meditation. It was uh, Vedic through Ziva meditation, Emily Fletcher, which is, you know, a very powerful form of meditation, but it just comes from the transcendental mantra-based uh, meditation space. And then, uh, like, four months ago, I just stopped. <laughs> and I think I stopped because it was a game-changer when I started, and it was a game-changer throughout but I realized that I needed to stop to have a comparison point again. And so I started doing other things. I started doing, you know, the Wim Hof breathing every single morning or taking cold showers. I think that you can experiment with these things in life because different things will work for you differently at different times. And if you're so used to one thing, your body might build up a resistance almost because it calcifies. So why not try something else? So I'm not telling people to stop meditating. That is definitely not what I'm doing, but I am just sharing my experience and it's actually been nice uh, to switch it up. And I even think it's nice not to work on yourself for a while, to have periods of time to like consciously be like, I'm gonna not consciously better myself. You know, yeah. there's a... Most people probably, I don't know, most people, I'll speak for myself. A lot of the times that I have built myself up, it's come from an, an, an immediate reaction to tearing myself down. Hmm. And there are things that do need to be torn down in our lives, like uh, real systemic shifts that we need, need to make. We need to rip up the foundation. But then a lot of times I think we get so used to ripping up the foundation that we just continue that practice when it's like, maybe you don't need to tear something down to build something new. Like you don't need to make yourself the enemy in order to make yourself the hero. You could just keep building on your property, you know, like build another area over here, or build something else. So I just think looking through the lens of something's wrong all the time with you in order to find the strength to get better is not necessary. 
Yeah, I love that you touched on that, man. It, the way I've described it is almost like uh, resting or taking a pause from the work, so to speak, is like an advanced level of the work. It's like maybe at the beginning, I feel like you have to dive in and grind and like really get excited about it. And then at some point, there's this realization of what you described that taking a nap is doing the work. Mm-hmm. Saying no to something is doing the work. Taking a bubble bath on a Tuesday afternoon is, is doing the work. And it's it's so vital. And I think it's so underappreciated in the society and the, the culture that we share. It's like, I've heard it described that we, we've normalized checking email on weekends, but we haven't normalized like watching a movie on a Monday. Like, mm-hmm. like that, that idea, right? Um, so... What else did we not touch on? I have written down uh, empathy. That's just the word that I've written down. I know that a lot of the like the common threads that seem to come through your art and your your life, it seems like, is this kind of compassionate inquiry, like a, an empathetic curiosity, so to speak. Is that intentional? Is that a byproduct of pain? Is that a mis uh, a misstatement on my part? What are your thoughts on on that? No, I think it's both of those things that you said. Um, It's definitely intentional because I want to live my life with empathy. I think empathy is what the world needs most right now. And then it's a byproduct of my experiences and the things that I've gone through and my pain as well. Yeah. Is there a, in terms of, I mean, in terms of what you're going through currently, like what is your edge at the moment? Like, is there a, is there a friction point where you're like, I do this thing and I'm, I'm working on it. Or, um, when we talked earlier about primary relationships and what it's teaching you, is there something that you're like, um, that you're facing and do you use your art in a sense to process those things? I use my art to process my life. So yes. And that everything under that umbrella. Yeah. It's my joy, it's my anger, it's my pain, it's my inspiration. And uh, it's a gift that I get to explore all of who I am through my work and then share it with other people that becomes hopefully a mirror for their own lives and humanity in general. Yeah. Do you treat it like a nine to five? Like do you have like, hey, every day at 10 a.m. I sit down and I write poetry or do you chase the muse or what is your writing process? No, I <laughs> do not do that. I only write when I have something to say now. But that's because I've put in those hours. Mm. So I don't need to write uh, from the standpoint of learning my voice or my style that now will just continue to evolve as I evolve. So I don't need to put time into practicing anymore unless it's fun and it's just play. And in that case, I would never structure it. I would just allow Mm -hmm. it to happen naturally. And I don't chase the muse because the muse will run away. So, Instead, I invite the muse and I'm very grateful whenever it shows up. (laughs) Every time I finish writing a poem, I say thank you. You know, the muse is basically the universe. There's energy that is in us and around us and floating by us all of the time. All of us are just, uh, you know compacted, vibrating energy, basically. And if you don't notice and appreciate the muse when it shows up and use what it gives you, it will just give it to another person. You could really think about it like, if I was to give you a gift and you got the gift, Jeremy, and you were like, that's cool, Uh, thanks. Like, I, I appreciate it. It's not exactly what I wanted, but uh, but I thank you. 
Well, we probably still remain friends, but I wouldn't give you another gift. And the universe is the same. The muse is the same. It wants to feel the symmetry of whatever the frequency is, right? So if it gives you a gift, it is giving you the gift in a certain frequency. And the frequency of matching that gift is gratitude. So you have to match the frequency of gratitude back to the universe in order for the universe to want to give you more. It's almost ridiculous that we don't think that the universe would want you to be grateful for the gifts that it gives you, whether that's inspiration or anything in your life, anything in your life that is happening that is good, whether it's as simple as a cup of coffee or a conversation with a friend or the sun shining on your face. I'm not one of these people that says walk around happy all the time. That's not real to the human experience. The human experience is dichotomy. You would never have happy without sad. You would never have love without hate. It, it's on this infinite circle. But if you're not grateful for these things in your life, the universe will just go give it to someone else who is. So gratitude is a muscle that you have to consciously build every single day so that you can lift more. So that the universe says, okay, I can give you more and they can carry it. So I don't see a difference between that and the muse. And when I finish writing a poem, I say, thank you. Mm. Thank you so much that it came through me in this moment. I appreciate it. I love that. I love that a lot. What would you say to somebody who might receive the gift from the universe in terms of an idea or an epiphany? but they interpret that gift through a fear place and maybe the gift is terrifying or the gift feels overwhelming. Um, what do you mean by that? Do you have anything more specific? Yeah, so, so for example, um, an idea to quit their job and start a business or, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I imagined Jeff Bezos sitting in his garage and he has an idea to start Amazon and is like, oh, I could never do that. I'm a... I work at McDonald's and I'm only 20 and I have no money and blah, 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 blah. Right. So I guess um, accepting the invitation from the universe without sabotaging yourself out of it. Yeah. It's very difficult for me to generalize something like that because it's yeah. so specific to the people who are listening to this in their individual lives. Yeah. And I don't know the details or the circumstances, so I'm not going to say, quit your fucking job. <laughs> like, get out there. I'm It'll be fine. Yeah. So maybe a better way is to, to balance the vulnerability with gratitude or to, to maybe it's a matter of risk, of toleration, of tolerance to risk, right? Of um, if, if vulnerability is a spectrum where there's levels to it, if gratitude is a muscle that you can build, then perhaps I'm answering my own question, whereby it's, it's about like starting where you are and continuing to expand at the discomfort that feels most exciting. You can't start anywhere other than where you are. Mm. It's impossible. <laughs> fair. <laughs> this is fair. Point. I mean, trust me, I, I wish, I wish yeah. that I could start in the past or in the future. <laughs> yeah, I guess like maybe it's a, <laughs> be a whole lot easier. Uh, maybe like using a personal example for you, like do you have an idea currently or have you had one in the recent past whereby you're like, I can't do that. Like that's too big. Like that feels impossible. Uh, maybe like writing your book or launching, cause you have like an Amazon special as well. Like when you had that mm -hmm. first glimmer of excitement or ideation was there also a corresponding terror or a self-judgment or like the, yeah the, of course yeah, that's so, so like, natural man that's so important it's a part of knowing that you're pushing outside of your boundaries is to feel fear and discomfort 
if you're not feeling some fear and discomfort, then you're clearly not pushing far enough. But if you're feeling so much fear and discomfort that you're debilitating yourself or being completely irresponsible to the people that are around you, then that's a different thing. And uh, only you will know the balance based on your personal circumstances. Mm. It's like the, you got to find that not too hot, not too cold. Like it's like not too scary, not too easy. This feels about right. This feels exciting is what I'm hearing. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> Just like, okay. Or, um, or not, or, or go completely hot. Yeah. You know, or go completely cold. But I'm just saying, like, I don't think that there's a right or a wrong. Hmm. You know, there's no way to generalize that in this conversation. Um, But you can pay attention in your own life to how you feel right now. Are you excited? You know, think about the poem that I did earlier. If If you don't know what your purpose is, tell me what your passion is. Well, purpose is huge. So overwhelming. Oh, my God. What's your purpose? You know, it's exhausting to even think about that. But you can kind of say, well, this is what I'm kind of passionate about. And if you don't know what you're passionate about, then just like, what are you enthusiastic about? What are you interested in? You can go all the way down the line until just like, okay, what are you curious about? If you can't tell me what you're curious about, you're sleepwalking through life. Yeah. So I, I, that's the only thing that I would say is, is that like you can work your way up the ladder because it doesn't only go down, it goes back up. And if you start with what you're curious about, it can lead you towards what your purpose is. Hmm. Yeah. And just if you're sleepwalking through life, it's, it's like, just start trying shit. It's like, go to a, go to a class, go to a group, try, just try some shit shake it up like get a little bit uncomfortable as kids we grow so much because of our bodies of course and but we also grow because we're always outside of our comfort zone kids don't have any control over their schedule (laughs) they don't have control over their stimulus or you know their family environment and that could be good or bad but i'll tell you what it forces kids into growing yeah. You know, and then as adults, we find something we're kind of good at or something we can make money at, something we get validated by. And we just stay there because it sucks to be a student again. It sucks to fall flat on your face. It sucks to feel foolish or silly. But that's what is necessary for growing. And it's what's necessary for playing. And if you're not playing as an adult, you're you're not living your life to the fullest. You know, when people say, oh, where do you get your inspiration from? I say, if you're not inspired by life, you're not paying attention. So that's what I would challenge the people to do from a loving place is just pay attention to ways that you can start to shake it up, as you just said. And even if you don't know what to do, do something. Mm. I love that. And I feel like just being conscious of time, that might be a good place to end um cool but i know that you are doing a bunch of stuff where can people find you i know you've got a book and a podcast Amazon yes special. i have a podcast podcast is called inquire within within q and it's on spotify and apple and all of that stuff and i'm interviewing uh poets and artists about their lives and their process in creating So I'm very excited about that podcast. We interviewed Atticus, who's an unbelievable poet to begin with. And we have three other episodes that are up. So it's literally just starting. And uh, the responses have been incredible. Then I have a book called Inquire Within, which is out at every possible place that it could be out at. And couldn't be more proud of that book. I just got nominated for... Uh, an Audi Audible Book Award uh, for the reading of it, um, which was exciting. And it was cool. Like the whole thing happened and John Leguizamo was hosting and it was really fun. And um, so you can get Inquire Within as an audio book or you can get the actual book on Amazon or 
uh, Barnes and Noble, your local uh, bookstores, if you want to support independence. And then I have an Amazon special. It was from a show we did at the Ace Theater. So there was like 1,700 people there. And so you can go on Amazon and you can check that out. And it's just called NQ Live. Brother, uh, thanks so much for being here. And thanks for, thanks for your message. Thanks for all you've become, all that you are, and all that you're putting out in the world. I think it's just, it's so needed and so powerful. So it's been a, it's been a privilege to chat with you, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate your time. He's good, right? That poem of his, that big brain, that huge heart. I just uh, have a lot of time for that, man. Thank you for listening. And as mentioned at the beginning, you can grab his book. You can watch his Amazon Prime special. You can follow him on Instagram. I've included links to all of this this stuff in the show notes. And yeah, get in this man's world. He is a, a brilliant creator and a very inspiring human. So thank you for being here. Thanks for your support. Thanks for spreading the word. If you've got an artist, creator, friend that you think might benefit from this chat about vulnerability, please do send it along. Spread the word, raise the impact, and let's create some bigger, better ripples in the world together.